The beginning of Luke chapter 12, it tells us that there are thousands of people who come to see Jesus. In fact, it says there are so many people who have come to see Jesus this day that they are trampling all over each other. It doesn't tell us why this particular day might be different than other days because nowhere else in the New Testament does it tell us that the crowd is trampling each other to get to Jesus. But here Luke says this throng is is just shoving in on him. I get the feeling it's sort of like maybe being at uh, some type of rock concert and everyone is, is pushing against the stage and everyone on the stage is worrying about their life and their well-being. Maybe they're pushing Jesus because they are hoping to, to get near enough to him that he might touch them and do a healing. Maybe it's because they want him to touch them and, and that he would uh, bless them or speak words of blessing over them. Maybe it's just so they don't miss any of his profound words. Luke doesn't tell us anything about a miracle or about laying on hands for a blessing. But he does tell us that Jesus, in this encounter, in this moment, speaks about some pretty serious stuff. He talks about uh, the danger of hypocrisy. And he even points out the hypocrites who are sitting right there in the front, or the Pharisees sitting right in the front row, and says, don't be like them. He's got a lot of guts, you have to give him that. And, and then he warns them about, about uh, the persecution that's going to come upon them. And he says, times are going to be tough. You're going to be shoved and pushed and arrested. You're going to be called before magistrates and governments and judges. And they're going to put the screws to you. Just be ready. And he says, of all the things you need to worry about, And there are lots of them. Don't ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He says the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Ignoring the promptings of the Spirit. Rejecting the call of the Spirit on your life. Is going to lead to serious consequences. Beware. And and as I read this passage. You get sort of a sense that there is this hush. That falls over the crowd. Jesus is talking about serious, eternal things. And in the midst of this this conversation, one of the people in the crowd stands up and says, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. What? Are you kidding me? Luke doesn't tell us the look on Jesus' face or what Jesus does. And I hope there's video replay in heaven because I would love to see the look on Jesus' face. Are you Really? All this serious stuff and that's the question you want to ask me? This is what you want me to do? And at first Jesus, it's so he's not going to answer it. And he says, who am I? To, to, am I a judge? Am I an arbiter? Am I, am I supposed to take care of these things? And, and it's as though, you know, here all these, talking about all these serious things. And this guy pipes up and it's as though he's saying, Jesus, my brother took away my toy. Make him give it back. 
Really? That's all you can get out of everything I've been saying? And then Jesus changes his mind. And he says, okay, if you want to talk about this, let's talk about it. And the first thing he says is, beware of all kinds of greed. And the guy, you can see the guy who asked the question going, whoa, wait a second. That's not what I had in mind. I just want you to tell him to give me what's mine. Don't turn this back on me. And Jesus, but Jesus does. It's all, it always comes back on us. He says, be careful about greed. And then Jesus puts the death nail in the guy and says, let me tell you a little story. And everybody starts getting really nervous. You ever notice how when Jesus tells stories, there are always few people who like the story, but everyone else is going, oh boy, this is going to take a bad turn. I know it. And he tells a story about this man who is rich and he plants his crops. And when he comes time for harvest, he gets so much that he doesn't know what to do with it. He stuffs everything he can into his barns they, until they are stuffed to the gills. And he still has a bunch of grain on the ground. And he's pacing the floor thinking, what do I do with this? I don't want it to rot. What should I do with all of this grain? And then it comes to him. I know what I'll do. I will tear down these puny little barns and I'll build magnificent, huge barns. And then I'll sit back, take it easy, and enjoy the rest of my life. It's good. And God's response to him is, you fool. Now, he doesn't really seem that foolish, does he? I mean, isn't that, isn't it wise to prepare for the future? Is Jesus telling us, don't prepare for the future? Is Jesus telling us, don't think about what's coming ahead. Just live in the moment. Don't worry about it. I mean, the, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. But in our culture, in their culture and in our culture, the way to security is to amass as much as you can. And then you kick back and you take it easy. I don't need to worry about this anymore. I'm good. And Jesus says, that's a foolish way to live. Now, this word that he uses, fool, there are, there are at least a couple of words in, in the New Testament that are used to, that are translated fool. One of them is moros, and we form of that is moron, where we get that word. And this is the word Jesus uses in Matthew 5 when he says, don't ever refer to another person by that word. Because it is a derogatory comment about their intelligence, about their worth and their value. But this word... Is different. This word means to know the right thing to do and to choose not to do it. You're driving down 19 one day. You realize you're looking for a new car. And as you're driving down the road, there's there's a nice looking car sitting out in someone's yard, a for sale sign on it. And it catches your eye and you think, oh, that looks nice. 
But instead of, if you're driving down and you pass it, instead of stopping, turning around and coming back and look at it, looking at it, you keep driving looking at it. Or I'll give you another example. If I were to walk around up here without paying attention to what I was doing... Just so none of you get nervous, I'm going to stay up here, okay? I don't want anyone to start getting, eyes getting bigger. It, it's just, it's foolish to drive a car like that. And, and it's foolish to do these things. In chapter 11, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, they're, they're, they, they jump on, on Jesus, down Jesus' throat and, and, and the disciples because they don't follow all the ritualistic hand washings. And Jesus says to them, you know, it's... I'm not going to say don't do the hand washings, but here's the thing. You worry about the outside of the cup, and you're not paying any attention to the inside of the cup. So you take a drink, and the outside of it looks beautiful. It's gorgeous. And the inside's all moldy, and you don't seem to care. And he says to them, you fools. What's wrong with you? And Jesus says about this rich man, he's a fool. And it's not because he isn't, we're not supposed to prepare for the future. It's because he's hoarding his abundance. He has all of this in front of him. His barns are stuffed full. He's got more than he knows what to do with. And what does he do? He wraps his arms around it like a little child and says, Mine. 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 Greed is not limited to people who have great wealth. Greed is an attitude that can inflict itself on any one of us. Jesus says, beware of all kinds of greed. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes to his son in the faith, And he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Timothy's not rich. But greed can get us no matter how much we have. Because we all are, are tempted to, to feel the same way that John Rockefeller felt. And, you know, in that famous statement when they asked him, how much money would it take to make you happy? And he said, just a little bit more. And we all fall into that trap. We all are susceptible to greed. We all are susceptible to saying... This is mine. It's mine. You can't have it. It's mine. And despite what culture tells us, and despite what our human nature tells us, and quite frankly, despite what sometimes the church tells us, that's a foolish way to live. In the Old Testament, there are numerous laws about how God's people are to live. And Jesus says here, you've got a choice. You can either store up things for yourself or you can be rich toward God. 
And I'm convinced to be rich toward God has something to do with the biblical principle that begins at the, in, it's all the way through the scripture from beginning to end that our relationship with God is directly tied to our relationship with other people. How we treat other people reveals how we feel about God. And so when we come to the Old Testament, God says to people over and over again, how you treat the aliens and the strangers, how you treat the widows and the orphans, how you treat the poor, how you treat all these folks who are vulnerable among you, reveals how you really feel about me. Every one of those laws is bracketed with some form of the statement, I am the Lord your God. Treat people right. I am the Lord your God. Now you may have wondered, why did we read that passage in Leviticus 19 about all those laws? Well, part of the reason is because that's a good example. But in the middle of that, there is, there is a commandment about how they are to reap the harvest in their fields. And God is very clear with them. And he says, when you reap your harvest, don't reap to the edges of the field. And don't go back over that field twice and pick up the grain that you missed the first time. The edges of the field and the grain that you missed is for the poor. It's for the people who don't have access to the grain, to food like you do. And if you glean to the edges of your field, if you go around a second time and pick up all the scraps that you left after the first time, I'll come and get you. You will be held accountable to me. Because how you treat these people, how you treat the people who are most vulnerable in your society, reveals what you think about me. And the same thing is true of us. What we do with what we have reveals how we feel about God. We can say, I prayed the prayer. And, and, I, and I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And if we do that, that that's awesome. And that's where we begin. And, and that's, that's the, the beginning of the journey. But if we don't treat people the way God treats them, what did it really mean? Who is God really to us? We can either store up things for ourselves or we can be rich toward God. In the way we treat other people. And it's not just his money. This rich man says. Once he gets everything in his barn. He says I'm going to sit back. And I'm going to take it easy. I'm never going to work another day. And there is something about that. That says to me. What a selfish way to live. If he's got free time. Use the free time to help the people who don't have free time. Use your free time to help people who have needs. Besides the grain that you can give them, help them. And here's this rich man who has so much, he doesn't know what to do with it. And he says, now what should I do? Should I help the poor? Should I give some to my neighbor that's in trouble? Should I go help my neighbor repair his fence? Nah, I'm going to keep it for myself and just sit here and take it easy. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God sometimes allows life to be, feel a little bit uneasy to us, a little bit insecure, 
is because in those moments, we tend to realize how much we need God. And in the moments when we feel secure and, and we've got everything in place, we've got, we've got all the money we need, we've got all the resources we need, we've got all the time we need, and everything is going perfectly, we have a tendency to say, life is good. I don't know that I really need to rely on God all that much. But eventually... Every one of us is going to stand, we're all going to die, and we're going to stand accountable before God. And God is either going to say to us, you fool, or well done, good and faithful servant. And something of that conversation is tied up in what we do with what we have. After this parable, Jesus goes on to talk to the people and he says, let me tell you this. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Your heavenly father knows you need all those things and he will take care of you. And I think Jesus is saying your security is not in the stuff that you have. Because quite frankly, it could be gone in a moment. You could be gone in a moment. Your security is in God. In your heavenly father. Who knows your needs and takes care of you. A number of years ago, I was reading through Christianity Today magazine. And I came across an advertisement in there that quite frankly stunned me. I, I saved it. And you probably can't read a lot of it, but let me read, it, read to you what it says. And I suspect that the person who allowed this into the magazine might not work there anymore. But it says, since the beginning of time, it has always been gold. And it goes on to say, dear friends, are you concerned about the decline of the dollar, the menace of inflation, the declining stock market, the increase of natural disasters, the threat of future terrorism, Gold has always provided salvation in times of need. Wow. And then it goes on to say, talk to us at, uh, at no obligation for the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones. And then to make sure that we know it's spiritual, it says Isaiah fifty-eight eleven, and the Lord shall guide you continually. I remember reading that and thinking, it's one of those things where you read past it and you think, wait a second. And you go back to it and look at it again. Really? That's in this magazine? It just shows you how easily we can get caught up in the mindset of the culture. And how easily we can think that security is in what we have instead of in God. And, and there is nothing wrong with having things. God, this man is not condemned because he has a great harvest. The problem is what he does with it. And that's the challenge for every one of us. 
Yesterday at district conference, our general superintendent, Joanne Lyon, was, was speaking to us about things going on in the church. And one of the things that she talked about was this, this emphasis that the church is, is trying to focus on about generosity. And she quoted someone, I didn't quite catch who it was, but she said something to the effect that in a culture of greed, it is the responsibility of the church to transform that culture into a spirit of generosity. Who should be more generous than God's people? Who should be more generous than the church? To look at the needs of the world and to continually ask God, what do you want me to do to be a part of helping people in need? How can I use what you've given me to help people in need? Whether it's our money, our time, our our possessions, whatever it may be. Because the issue of this parable and this story is is our attitude. It's our spirit. It's our hearts. In just a few moments, we've got three people who are going to come and be baptized this morning. And as they step into this water, and as they go under the water, and you'll hear them share a brief testimony before they go underwater. But as they do that, they are taking baptismal vows. And a part of taking those vows is to say, I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart. And however Jesus leads me, and whatever Jesus does in my life, I want my life to be about Jesus. I want my spirit, my attitude, every part of my being to be about Jesus. And many of you have been baptized and you took similar vows. And my prayer is that this morning, as they go into the water, as they commit themselves to their baptismal vows, we will commit and recommit ourselves. To our baptismal vows. That our hearts, our attitude, our spirit will be, Lord, make me more and more a person who is generous. A person who's always looking for ways to share rather than to hoard. A person who's looking not to worry about life, but looking to trust you. About life. And my prayer is that as we do that together, it'll change not only our individual lives, but our corporate life as the church.